0: Hello my loves. It is Valentine's Day. A day that is an equal mix of love, of romance and and also just absolutely hatred. It might be the most hated holiday in the world. It is literally banned in a number of countries. Today that even here in the US brings some complicated mix of joy and sorrow and annoyance. Well, In honor of those complicated feelings, we are bringing you a story of the heart, quite literally. It's also a love story in its own way. So on this Valentine's Day, I give you Chopin's Heart by our brilliant producer, Amanda McGowan. Take it away,
1: Amanda. In the dead of night, in a silent, empty church in Warsaw there's a group of people huddled around a stone pillar. There's an archbishop, a government official, two forensic scientists, and an academic. And just about around midnight, they get to work. They're here on a controversial and pretty secret mission. And they're gathered around that pillar because they're going to be digging out from inside of it a priceless and very closely guarded treasure. So they open the pillar up, carefully, carefully, and there inside a mahogany urn is a heart, a heart in a beautiful crystal jar. This was the heart of a legendary composer and a Polish national hero, Frederick Chopin. I'm Amanda McGowan and this is Atlas Obscura a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we're taking you to the Church of the Holy Cross in Warsaw, Poland to hear the story of Chopin's heart, which, if I do say so myself, is extremely metal. You'll see what I mean after this.
0: along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail from strenuous to wheelchair-accessible, Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.
1: October 1849. Paris. The great composer, Frederick Chopin, is dying, and everybody seems to know it.
2: Nearly all of Paris saw him on his deathbed, and people would like come in, ladies would come in to try to get a, a, a glimpse of this man uh, who was reported t- to be near death.
1: This is my friend, Michael Crowley. He's a professional pianist, so he knows a lot about Chopin's music.
2: I think almost every pianist, young pianist, their first love is Chopin.
1: He was also a researcher on a recent book about Chopin, so he knows a lot about his life, too, and about his death.
2: A journalist came in and he asked if Chopin could be pushed closer to the window uh, to get better light for it to take a daguerreotype. And that was obviously met with some scorn, and and it was, uh, you know, super rude. So.
1: Chopin is lying on his deathbed fully dressed. He always insisted on that. He was even wearing stockings and shoes in bed. His older sister, Ludvika, is by his side. And as the legend goes, he makes a request. A very macabre request. But before we get to that, let's go back a little bit to Chopin's childhood. Chopin is born in 1810, and he grows up in Warsaw, Poland. His sister Ludwika is taking piano lessons, and as the story goes, Chopin begs her to please let him sit next to her while she's playing. He starts lessons himself when he's around six years old, and very soon it becomes obvious that this kid is totally a prodigy.
2: And he actually completed his lesson series by age 12, things that would take us today as professional pianists like 20 years. Six years of lessons, and that was that. He was a fully formed pianist.
1: Very soon, he's performing all around Europe. But in the 1820s, he comes down with a serious throat inflammation that looks a lot like tuberculosis. But then his younger sister, Amelia, does get tuberculosis. She ultimately dies. She's 14. Chopin survives his illness, but for the rest of his life, he's always kind of sick. In October of 1830, Chopin is 20 years old. He and a friend decide they're going to take a Euro trip, classic. They're going to go to Vienna, see some concerts, perform. And Vienna at this time is like the center of Europe's music world. But then, while they're abroad, in Warsaw, a revolt breaks out against the rule of the Russian Empire. So Chopin's friend, he rushes home to join the resistance. And Chopin also wants to go. But his family writes to him and they say, do not come. You're so fragile. It's not safe here. Just stay where you are. And Chopin suddenly finds himself in kind of exile. eventually chopin finds his way to paris so picture this we're sitting in an elegant drawing room crowded with people they're all perched on the edges of their seats leaning in toward the man at the piano he's thin pale and has this long dark wavy hair and he's wearing a beautiful suit with a cravat He's like totally a dandy.
2: There are images. There are sketches of women strewn around the piano listening to Chopin, uh, swooning over his very delicate, refined playing.
1: Chopin doesn't really give big concerts. He just does these kind of small, intimate shows. And maybe because of this, his reputation gets bigger and bigger.
2: He's very popular throughout continental Europe with other composers. Um, Those who haven't even heard him play knew of him. I do think that Chopin would be something like a, a Bob Dylan type you know, the composer's composer, more cerebral, uh, maybe a little less accessible in, in certain ways.
1: One of the people swooning at these salons is named Georges Sand. Actually, that's her pen name, she's a novelist. And she's also a Bohemian, like Chopin. She would wear pants, she'd smoke cigars, she's legally separated from her husband, has a string of love affairs. She is very scandalous for the time. So naturally, she and Chopin fall madly in love
2: and Georgeson used to even sit underneath the piano uh, with their little dog and they would she that's where she felt she was closest to Chopin's heart
1: their relationship is a bit stormy you know artists in 1838 they take this trip to Mallorca, Spain thinking that the weather might help Chopin's health because remember he's always sick he's always kind of coughing but instead of sunshine it rains the whole time that they're there and they're put up in this really drafty monastery. By the end of the trip, San says that Chopin is coughing up basins of blood. And then she writes this novel about an aging actress who falls for a moody, sickly prince.
2: Everyone in Paris who read this book knew that was Chopin, and he was portrayed in a horrible light. Cold, withholding. Uh, she found him to be, you know, his indifference to her feelings, to be absolutely torturous.
1: So the two break up. And all of this time, Chopin is getting sicker and sicker.
2: He's requiring a manservant to carry him upstairs. He could not get up the stairs. He was under 90 pounds.
1: For the last few months of his life, Chopin is bedridden. His sister Ludwika is by his side. And as the legend goes, he tells her that he has this fear. This fear that he's going to be buried alive. So he tells her, please bury my body in Paris, but cut out my heart and make sure that it returns to Poland. It's October 17th, 1849, around two in the morning. Chopin is struggling to breathe. His doctor brings a candle up near Chopin's face and asks, Are you suffering? And Chopin answers in French, Non plus, no more. And then he dies. He's just 39 years old. The doctor removes Chopin's heart and places it in a crystal jar. To preserve it, they fill the jar with alcohol. We don't know exactly what kind. Probably cognac or brandy. And let's go with cognac because, I mean... Ludvika keeps her promise. She sets out on the long, difficult carriage ride to Warsaw. The weather is awful. It's snowy, icy, dangerous. Ludvika is terrified that her brother's heart is going to be ripped away from her by Russian or Austrian customs officials. So she takes this jar with her brother's heart inside of it, and she hides it underneath her skirt on the trip back. But she makes it. For years, Ludwika keeps the heart at her home, like you do, I guess. And when she dies, the Church of the Holy Cross in Warsaw takes it over. But they stash the heart in the catacombs of the church, like underneath it in the basement. And it's totally unmarked, totally anonymous. Maybe this is the church kind of like disapproving of Chopin's bohemian life, his scandalous love affairs. He also was like probably agnostic at the end. But eventually, a Polish journalist finds out, so he writes his article about it, and in 1880, the heart is moved from the basement to a place of honor upstairs. Over time, nationalist feelings start to congeal around Chopin. There is the fate of tragic Poland, which is always kind of grasping for independence, and it becomes intertwined with the fate of the tragic son who never returned home. So Chopin's heart becomes... Pretty symbolic. In 1944, war is ravaging Poland again. World War II. In August, resistance fighters in Warsaw lead a heroic uprising against the Nazis. Violence rages across the city, including near the Church of the Holy Cross. But apparently, the SS commander who is in charge of crushing Warsaw is also a fan of classical music. So the Nazis make arrangements. They take Chopin's heart out of the church and bring it to SS headquarters for safekeeping. Meanwhile, resistance fighters hold out for 63 long days, waiting for the Allies to relieve them. They never come. The Nazis murder 200,000 Polish civilians. They also destroy much of Warsaw, including the Church of the Holy Cross. And all of this is ordered by the same SS commander who saved Chopin's heart. At some point, the heart changes hands and is kept in the countryside until the war is over. After the war, as the church was being rebuilt, Chopin's heart is paraded triumphantly through the country. A rector of the Holy Cross makes a speech saying, "'The heart is a symbol of the indomitable spirit of our nation.'" And since then, Chopin's heart has become a national treasure in Poland. Which brings us to April 14th, 2014. In the dead of night, in a silent, empty church in Warsaw, there is a group of people huddled around a stone pillar. There's an archbishop, a government official, two forensic scientists, and an academic. Around midnight, they get to work. They are here to exhume Chopin's heart. The scientists want to know if the heart can reveal any clues about the illness that plagued Chopin throughout his life. But they have very specific instructions. They are not allowed to open the jar and they are not allowed to conduct any tests on the heart. They can only look at it. So the scientists look at the heart. It's definitely larger than it should be and it's covered in this milky white fibrous web. Based on this, they speculate that Chopin may have had pericarditis. That's a rare complication of tuberculosis. They take some photos, the archbishop says a prayer, and the heart is reburied. If you like, you can go to the Church of the Holy Cross in Warsaw and visit the pillar that contains Chopin's heart. And in about 50 years, there's actually going to be another team that's going to open the pillar again and kind of check on the heart, make sure it's still in good condition. And you could try to get an invite to that, but I wouldn't really hold your breath. But there is also another way to feel close to Frederic Chopin and his turbulent, fascinating life. It's in his music.
2: Chopin takes you all over the place. you're in this dark place but then all of a sudden this chiaroscuro of light and happiness and ebulence comes bursting forth so you have to be you have to be ready for the emotional roller coaster with Chopin. It's, it's it can be very challenging if you're not up to it.
1: Special thanks to Michael Crowley for telling us the story of Chopin's heart.
2: Cheers. To Chopin's Pickled Heart, four one up for Freddy.
1: podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes
0: Dylan Therese,
2: Doug Baldinger,
0: Chris Naka,
1: Camille Stanley,
2: Willis Ryder-Arnold,
1: Sarah Wyman,
2: Manolo Morales,
1: McKenna Smith, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson,
2: John Delore, Peter Clowney,
1: Guinevere Govea. Our technical director is
2: Casey Holford.
1: This episode was mixed by
2: Luce Fleming.
1: And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Amanda McGowan, wishing you all the wonder in the world. See you next time.
2: Witness Docs from Stitcher. Caesar's Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesar's rewards. So many teenagers waiting to be adopted from foster care feel like their lives are over. They've given up hope of having a permanent home and are terrified of aging out with no support system. Right now, more than 113,000 children are waiting to be adopted in the U.S. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is dedicated to finding them the right family before it's too late. Learn how you can help at DaveThomasFoundation.org slash learn more.